Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Eye on the Tigers podcast here at the St. Louis Post-Dispatch. I'm Ben Fredrickson, joined, as always, by Dave Matter from Columbia as we take a look at what's going on with Mizzou Athletics and kind of around the college sports world. And, um, you know, we, we have had multiple editions of this podcast, day where we're trying to get our best grip on what this college football season could look like. We're get, we got some, some news to talk about there. Um, you had a great column in a recent post-dispatch talking to multiple athletic directors. I want to get your thoughts on that. And then the news that has come out of that since then with the NCAA releasing some guidelines. So we're diving into that. Um, speaking of coronavirus, you caught up with Sophie Cunningham, who is, has overcome COVID and, uh, and gave you a very candid interview about what that was like as she tries to make, uh, make it through the WNBA bubble. Um, always interesting to see hear what Sophie has to say. So I want to get your thoughts there. We'll talk some Mizzou basketball as well as we await the future of uh, one Xavier Pinson and his NBA status, which is always an interesting topic. Dave, plenty to discuss, but let's start with, I think, the thing that every person in college athletics is losing sleep over right now, which is the state of this college football season in the era of COVID-19. For the reason that if there's not a college football season, then I think everybody is worried about their status, whether their job is to work in the athletic department or to some degree at the university. I mean, these, uh, these college football seasons have become the bell cow for a lot of colleges. And, you know, we're looking at reports of, of conferences only playing conference games and things of all that nature. Um, you've talked with multiple athletic directors who are very candid about the flaws that have happened here lack of leadership from the NCAA and kind of, uh, you know, this, uh, this conversation that is now at least starting to get some maybe discussions from the NCAA about how this could work. Um, just what was your sense in talking to these different ADs at various levels about where they are? I mean, we hear a lot of doomsday stuff. We hear a lot of fake optimism, which is Dabo Sweeney, you know, Hey, we're going to have a season as is. That's just unrealistic. Um, it seems like these guys are all kind of somewhere in the middle. Yeah, I think the ADs are more realistic than the coaches because they're the ones that really have to plan ahead and they're the ones who look at the, the budget sheets every day and to kind of figure out in their head what kind of cuts they would have to make if there's not a season or if there's half a season or if, or if whatever. And, um, you know, some of them that I've known a long time in the industry and know well, uh, they're not quite given the whole complete doomsday scenario yet. I mean, one of them did use DEFCON 1 in, in a quote. Um, I mean, this is to use like corny football metaphors. I mean, they are in the fourth quarter now as far as if this season is going to be salvaged or not. And uh, I I don't think ADs are giving up yet. Conference commissioners aren't quite giving up yet, but they are drawing up, you know, the Hail Marys. I mean, they are trying to figure out what you can do to salvage this. On, On one end, it's kind of out of their power because even Greg Sankey, SEC commissioner, said, this is going to come down to the public health trends and, you know, it's about the public to some degree too, mitigating the spread and getting those numbers down, getting those graphs that we see every day to start looking uh, the way we want them to look the way everyone thought they would look this time of year, or at least it hoped they would look. And, and we know that they don't not in this country and especially not in the sec footprint where we're seeing, you know, broken record after broken record day after day in places like Florida and, um, you know, Arizona is not in the SEC, but they've been bad there in Texas. And uh, so 
nobody's feeling great, but I think it's time to start thinking about creative ways on how they can get a season in without the extreme measures of just punting the whole year or moving to the spring. So they haven't quite given up yet. And a lot was just coming down to the conference commissioners because we know the NCAA is not going to step in and have some, you know, really progressive, creative, thorough plan here. It's going to come down to the conferences. Well, let's, let's hit on that at NCAA part because you, you wrote, hey, look, there's probably going to be some sort of attempt from the NCAA to issue some sort of guidelines here. Now, their control over big-time football is not like what they have over NCAA basketball. Right. The power conferences have pretty much their own autonomy, and the NCAA likes to really point that out. Um, hey, this isn't, our, this isn't our issue. Well, okay, you know, your issue is – making sure that the kid who takes a ride home from the football coach gets, right. you know, his eligibility taken away, but you guys can't weigh in on the public health crisis. That's convenient. Right. But we have seen the NCAA, as you predicted accurately, start to wade into this choppy water here with some, with some, I guess, guidelines is the best way to phrase it. Um, you know, a buddy of ours, Ross Dellinger, who used to be at the Columbia Tribune, who has now moved on to SI, um, he has had some reporting that suggests that, you know, there's, there's action on that front. What do you make of, of these guidelines? Because you and I were just talking before we pressed record on this thing. Um, it's easy to read these and go, man, if this is how it's going to be, then it's hard to imagine, you know, very many teams being able to complete a season without pretty drastic, um, you know, missing, missing parts of their team throughout, especially when you look at how the virus rates right now are affecting that age group in terms of positive tests. Um, not as many super severe, uh, you know, consequences in terms of, you know, their younger people should be in a better spot than, than the older generation. But still, you're not going to send a guy who just tested positive out on the field for the risk of spreading it. So what did you make of your kind of your first read of the reporting on, on what the NCAA could suggest to these teams? Yeah, it's, it's the NCAA guidelines, and then there's a draft, and this is what Sports Illustrated reported. And by the time that this podcast is out, that, that draft may be finalized and it may be public um, beyond the reporting. But it's, the Power Five um, put some standard protocols together that are going to be required uh, of teams, uh, of football teams. We're talking about weekly tests for athletes, the PCR tests, the one that's kind of standard ones. Um, 72 hours before the competition for those tests. I, I think they'd love to have them 24 hours before, but, you know, getting the results back for every team in the Power Five for 100-plus athletes is probably a big ask, uh, you know, just for even for uh, a college football program that might have a little more pull than, than the average person wanting to get their results back. Uh, and, and then it comes down to the quarantine rules. I, I believe what uh, the draft of that letter says is that anyone who tests positive must quarantine for 10 days of competition, um, you know, i.e. games and practices. And then, and this is the one that I think could really trip up teams and lead to major portions of teams being out of action. Anybody that comes in contact with someone else who's positive for more than, I think, 15 minutes within six feet and one of them is not wearing a mask, if you, come in contact, if you come in contact under those terms, you then have to quarantine for 14 days. So if somebody is practicing and they don't know, uh, 
that he's positive until later, and then they do the contact tracing. I mean, that's, you're talking about every player on the field to some degree, or at least a bunch of them, or if it's one defensive lineman in a practice group, or everybody he was with. So I don't know how you enforce that. I don't know how you prove it necessarily. Um, you would hope teams won't work around that. They're, they're not going to not quarantine someone. They should be quarantined by the rules. This is all, you know, new to everybody. Um, but if, if that is the protocol that teams are going to pass and going to be the rule this year, injury lists are going to look different than ever before in, in college football this year, if there is a season. So really interesting stuff, but I do think, I mean, is it too little too late? Probably, but it's nice. It'd been nice if they could maybe done this in May. So you'd have a little bit more time, but now here we are scrambling um, to put something together and uh, you just hope it's not too late. The, the, the notion that teams won't take advantage of this if there's not some sort of independent overseer to me is, right, is right. realistic. I mean, we've seen programs find ways around the rules for, for as long as the rules have existed. So I, I have a hard time if there's not going to be some sort of independent, uninvested overseer here, how this can, how this can be followed. Um, but you're right about the, you know, the, <laughs> the injury list. We're seeing that in baseball, right? I mean, guys, does, a guy doesn't show up for practice and no one knows why. We see that in, in hockey, you know, there's, there's the very real you know, privacy concerns to this as well, um, which that's going to be, that could has potential to be, be a disaster for college football, if you show up for a game and, you know, half of your two deep is, is, off, the ro- is off the roster. So hopefully they're thinking about ways to enforce this. Um, and, and I would be curious to see if the conferences agree, um, you know, what actually can be, can be forced upon them. Uh, because I would imagine the conferences are going to say, hey, we're going to take care of ourselves here. Right. Um, what, and that's interesting. Mark, Mark Emmert has been a ghost on this topic, the president of the NCAA, He's released some kind of wishy-washy statement here recently, I think because he's feeling pressure about not saying anything. Um, but, but it does seem like this conversation is late, and, and we've seen how things that aren't planned out can go awry. I mean, there's really no best-case scenario here. It's going to be picking between the, the options that are, that are most desirable out of bad options. And, right. and that's kind of what I wanted to touch on, too. We had, I was talking to Cole Kubelik on a recent radio program, um, you know, Cole played, uh, he does SEC network stuff. He's really, really, you know, in tune on all things SEC football. And I just said to him, I said, hey, you know, for people who are saying, hey, why aren't they canceling this? Why aren't they getting out in front of this and just shutting it down? You know, can you explain what the college landscape looks like if there's a missed college football season after the NCAA, missed NCAA tournament? And he said, no hedging, that he really believes the next sport that will be played will be college football. And he said, I believe that whether that's in 2020, 2021, or 2022, you know, this is not, it's not, if there's no college football this year, there's not going to be a March Madness because every school will basically, you know, be in shambles if there's not a college football season. And the first thing that comes back will be college football, even if it's delayed. Now, I don't know if, if, if everyone agrees with that, but he said, look, people aren't understanding there will be, you know, all kinds of sports that are cut. There will be people out of jobs. There will be, you know, renegotiated contracts when it comes to, when it comes to broadcast things of that nature. Um, I'm not sure anybody has a real understanding of how drastic it could be if there's no college football season. And that's again, another reason why the conversation isn't about have it as normal or, 
don't have it at all. It's about how do you find, kind of like what baseball and these other sports have done, how do you find the best possible way to try? And then if you get into that plan and it falls apart, then you're in trouble. Right. And that might, be, that might be what happens, but I do think you're going to see, you're going to see these colleges say, hey, we're going we're gonna to try to push this forward now. The difference between obviously pro sports and college is that these kids aren't, you know, aren't professional athletes. They don't, they're not technically employees of unions to negotiate their rights. And I think that's going to be a topic that is not being talked about much right now, but it could be very soon if, if somebody gets pretty sick. Um, that's going to be something that I think comes up here. And that's probably part of the reason the NCAA has been hesitant on weighing in too much because it's, it knows that the conversation is going to start. So do you have a gut feel for, for what you think this could, could look like? I mean, to me, I think they're going to absolutely try to start. Right. I don't think there's any question about that. I, I don't have any clue for if it gets finished, but I absolutely think there will, there will be practices. There will be, there will be at least the first round of games before they say, Hey, we can't or can't do this. I think they're going to try to get this thing off the ground. Yeah. And you know, since the big 10 and the PAC 12 have gone to conference only schedules, I think it's easy to say, well, that's what everyone's going to do. But I, you know, I, the SEC doesn't want to make that decision yet. The Big 12 doesn't want to make that decision yet. I, I think it's going to be more kind of a hodgepodge mix and match of what schedules will look like. Maybe the SEC was going to try to salvage its non-conference games, and some teams on those schedules just can't do it. You know, for Missouri, maybe Eastern Michigan says, hey, it's just not going to work for us. We'll take our cut that you were going to give us. Um, but it, but it's, it's, you know, we, we can't do the travel, and testing is our testing isn't the – what we want it to be for this week. Uh, I, I do think – I agree with the people who think the Big Ten jumped the gun and did this too soon. I, I, I thought it just – it underscored how much – there's no lack of unity or cohesion in all of this, that they just did that without telling anyone. I mean, all the other conferences were stunned. I even had someone tell me that the Big Ten schools were stunned that that decision was made. They weren't – they didn't even know it was coming. Um, so that kind of – shows the, the real problem in all of this is that everybody's kind of out for themselves. I mean, imagine like the NL central making big decisions right. that, that the NL West is not making. Um, right. It, it, we, that just doesn't happen. So that's, that's a problem. But I, I do think eventually everyone will sort of get to the same finish line. It's just how they get there. And, and maybe some teams try to play some non-conference games like rivalry games, like South Carolina, Clemson, they want to keep that Georgia, Georgia tech. They want to keep that. Um, but maybe Missouri BYU just doesn't happen you know, this year. And you, schedules aren't going to be uniform. Some teams, best case scenario, may play eight. Some may play 10. Some may play six. Uh, and, and this season's just going to be weird like that. And people are going to have to get over that part of it. I do think it does make sense to give some flexibility within the schedule. And I think that's the best, that's the best reason the Big Ten did what it did. So that, hey, maybe that, um, you know, that Indiana-Michigan game that's scheduled, uh, Indiana's got like, 14 cases on its team and can't can't travel that week let's move that back to that open slot that both teams have so that would that's 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 fine if they want to do that I also think some schools might be able to like trade some games with you know maybe these maybe a team in Missouri and in the state of Arkansas aren't playing each other but teams they're playing teams in California Arizona well maybe the California Arizona teams play and the Missouri and Arkansas teams play I, I talked to one AD who has a outside of the SEC who has a situation like that, that they're trying to do. So you're, they're going to have to be creative. The good ADs are, are the ones who can compromise and be creative like that. Um, it's just it's just not going to have a uniform look to it at all, I don't think, if there is a season, and we're just going to have to live with that. 
it's going to be interesting. And this is an optimistic take to see how this would affect like college football playoff scenario. Yeah. I hope we get to have that discussion. <laughs> yeah. Let's see if we can get there. The, the one thing I'll say this is if there's one benefit to me of playing the conference only schedule, it's that you can, you can basically, as you said, mix and match your schedule as needed. One thing that no one is talking about, and I think this is going to be a discussion soon. I was having this talk with a, a friend the other day who covers and, and, and is part of college football coverage uh, in, in Iowa. And he said, there's no, isn't it unrealistic to expect there to be one game every week for, for teams? Yeah. I think you could see a situation where you're talking about a game every other week because of the testing, you know, and the need to actually practice. Um, you have to have people to practice. So if half your, if you can't practice, then you, what are the, what's going to be the, the state of the games? I think that's going to be something that gets talked about is are we going to have to see a, a decrease in the number of games just in order for there to be proper testing and practice in between the games? Could it almost be like a, not a bowl game length break between games, but something like every other week, is it a bye week between every game? Um, and, and that would probably have to mean a shorter schedule, right? Um, so that's a, or, or, or fewer games in the same amount of time. Cause I don't think yeah. they want to make the season go longer, but that's something that I think is going to have to be maybe talked about at some point. So I thought your column was great. Uh, I thought that the voices of the ADs was important to hear what these guys are actually really talking about as opposed to just kind of uh, relentless optimism, which, which right. is, is fine in theory, but it, it, it's not going to, it's not going to actually figure out a plan that gets this football season off the ground. So uh, good job on that. And also good job on Sophie. And this kind of is a dovetail, you know, Sophie Cunningham, who is one of the few athletes in our coverage area that have, that has experienced the virus and is willing to kind of talk about it. We know some Cardinals players have tested positive. We know there are probably some who have tested positive and not allowed it to be shared publicly, which is, you know, of course they're right. We know some blues players have been held out of practices um, and we're seeing this, you know, we're, we were seeing this impact sports, but Sophie, you get a hold of her about going to the bubble and she goes, Oh, by the way, you know, I had, uh, I had COVID now she's better. And she's, she's, she's quarantined down in the bubble trying to play with, uh, with her teammates. But what did she have to say about just how it affected her and, and how she had to, you know, how she had to kind of get clearance in order to rejoin her team? Because it sounded like she had to jump through a lot of hoops before yeah. they would even let her show up. Yeah, I think her situation, it kind of, it kind of speaks to um, this, this situation, how it's not just about dying. You know, everyone's like, well, if, if they didn't die, they're fine. Well, no, it, it this impacted her life and perhaps her career. She, she got sick for three, four days, really fatigued, um, basically kind of, you know, like the flu, uh, high fever and, and all of that. But she got over that. She she was better. But the fact that it happened right before the WNBA season started, she couldn't work out for a month. She couldn't touch mm -hmm. a basketball. She couldn't run. She couldn't get her heart rate up. She had to quarantine twice, once in Springfield, Missouri, where she got sick. And then the, the league told her, okay, that's fine if you move back to Columbia. But when you do that, because you're traveling, you have to quarantine for another 14 days. So that's that's four weeks of doing nothing. Then she was cleared to – fly to Bradenton, Florida, where the WNBA bubble is. They're calling it the Wubble, I guess, because it's women's, women's bubble. Um, and once she got there, she had to quarantine in her hotel room for another four days. So we're talking now about more than a month of a professional athlete 
uh, at the highest women's basketball league there is, not being able to touch a basketball. So that this is her a really pivotal second year for her, where she has to be an impact player if she wants to continue her career in this league. So yeah, she didn't die. She she got over it, but uh, could have had life changing ramifications as far as her her basketball career for someone who's only 23 years old. Um, so yeah, it shows that there's there's more to this than just the death rate, which is every, which we get thrown in our face all the time. These college athletes are fine. They're not going to die. Yeah. Well, um, the college athletes only get four shots at this. And if they miss a season uh, or if they miss two, because the season's canceled, that, that could, that, that's, that's awful. And nobody wants that. So um, she did report late. Uh, I did see on Instagram, she was practicing in their, uh, at their gym down in Florida. Their season starts uh, in two weeks or a week and a half. And it's a, it's a big year for her. She's on a really good team in Phoenix. And uh, now that she's over this, uh, she's going to need some time to get back into basketball shape. But, you know, I'm, I'm sure she will. I'm, I'm trying to – this is a great topic because I've been trying to explain to, to folks about this that this is a uniquely, uniquely significant threat to professional athletes, not because of, you know, not because of their – the likelihood that they're going to get COVID and, and, and die. I mean, for some reason, this discussion has been, well, the, the professional athletes are young and in the, in the peak of their physical careers. So, you know, they don't, they're not at risk to die. So what's the issue? And, and not everyone, not everyone is that binary. I get that, but I don't know that there's enough understanding of how this thing can impact people whose job it is to perform right. athletically at the highest level that that sport is played. You know, you can find people who have talked about, yeah, I, I was tested positive on this date. I was, I, I, you know, the test came back negative. I had passed the virus by this date, but I didn't feel normal until, and then some people say weeks, months, until afterwards, if they have symptoms. Cardiologists are saying, look, if you get this as an athlete, we are recommending that you basically don't do anything for two weeks after you test negative. Right. Not only can you work out, you know, strenuously while you, they don't advise that you work out strenuously while you have the virus because of the virus's unique ability to impact lungs, heart. The information on this is still very new, but they're finding that it has a, a real threat to your, to things that athletes need, heart, lungs. So after that time period, we're okay, it's okay to start working out again. It's not like you go from however long you were testing positive to back in the perfect shape you were before you right. stopped working out. If a baseball pitcher doesn't throw on his regular schedule, he starts to go downhill. So you're talking about, you know, significant rest after the period of having the virus. Then you compact the shortened season of like a, for baseball, like a 60 game season. If you get this thing, if you test positive during the season, I really don't know, you know, how that person's going to come back and have an impact on that same season. Um, you know, if they're asymptomatic, oh, maybe, you know, if they have no ill effects, but if they do, and then they're, and then after they're over that, then they're hit with this mandatory downtime that doctors are seem to be recommending. They're coming back from that, getting back in shape after that, and then having a chance to impact the season. I mean, you're talking about weeks at the best, maybe a month, maybe more right. for a season that is what, you know, three months long. So that is the that is the threat as much as the conversation is revolved around well will somebody will somebody die or not I mean that's first of all that's it's not what the conversation should be about second of all for this realm of sports I mean it's 
it's not like people in sports who are playing these things get it and then go back to work. Like, you and I, if we don't feel good, if we have a flu or, you know, or, or, or we're fatigued, we can sit and write a story, you know, okay. We can do a podcast and, and, and cough through it or whatever. And, and I'm being sarcastic to some degree, but you're not going to take a compromised person physically, whether they're out of shape or, you know, they're under this, this worry from doctors that they could be damaging themselves even after they test positive by not ramping up slowly enough right. and put them out in the field of competition. I mean, this virus has an ability to impact, you know, physical condition for a significant amount of time. You need your, you want your professional and college athletes to be at their top physical state. So, you know, you're talking about compromised players. And, and then on top of that, there's no, there's no real evidence. And the doctors will tell you this. They don't know about long-term effects of this. They don't know what it's going to do to people's lungs, to their heart, you know, key organs for any person, but especially people who need to do, do physical activity for their, for their living. So the conversation I think needs to be a little more nuanced here. And Sophie's a good example because she's healthy. She's in the prime of her career. She's young. And, and it not only did it, did it knock her down for a while, but it's taken her a while to, to start to get back to where she wants to be to play a season. Absolutely. And, and the, the fact that this is contagious too, I keep hearing people say, well, this is just like a broken bone. You recover. No, it, if, if, if Sophie would have broken her wrist and gone back to practice, all the other teammates wouldn't have possibly break their wrist also because they're around her. I mean, that's <laughs> The whole quarantine aspect of this is what makes it so unique and can wipe out a team, can wipe out a season. And when you can't play seasons, you have all these structures and these companies and these organizations built around having those seasons. This goes back to why they need to have college football is you have all these careers that are hinging on it. And, you know, one AD told me this week, if there's not football, he mentioned one department in his athletic department has eight employees. He said, we don't have a football season. I have to fire seven of those eight and we're down to one. I'm not going to say what department it is because I don't want those people freaking out. And it's not Missouri. So it's, it's another program somewhere, but still, I mean, that's, that's what we're talking about here. We're talking about massive layoffs. Um, these We've already massive, seen it. I mean, look, right, at, look at what it. Vanderbilt has done where it takes its communication staff and shuts it down. Yeah. I mean, look at Stanford. Stanford yeah. to me is like, when I saw Stanford cutting sports, I went, Oh, this is, this is bad. Yep. Because Stanford prides itself on being one of the colleges that has a diverse and robust athletic department across all the different silos of sports. I mean, they're the regular winners of that Directors Cup because they're, they're right. all the teams. I mean, they play sports there that nobody even knows about. They got squashed, and the squash wow. teams are good. That's, that, that's what Stanford does. And they're going, okay, we're just going to hack off, you know, a bunch of sports, including like a men's volleyball team that is like the Alabama – of men's volleyball yeah no oh we're getting rid of it I mean when Stanford is looking at that you better believe that every program in the country is looking at that um and it's the fact that that AD could tell you what exactly he was going to have to cut if there's no college football season tells you that these conversations are happening right now right absolutely and you know every AD has that list they have they have a list in their desk of here's what's got to go first if we have to do the nuclear option nobody wants to do that and um I, I hope they don't I really do one thing I think will change, and I'm curious your thoughts on this, and then I want to get on, I want to touch on Xavier Pinson here before we, we wrap this up, but do you think this is going to be a reckoning, um, no matter what happens moving forward, in some of the spending in, in this sport, in the sports world of college? I, mean, I was talking with 
Cole Kublik about this. We were talking about the, the SEC pressure cooker on head coaches and how like this is probably, you know, to some degree the the best year to be an SEC football coach because it seems like you would see like nobody's gonna get fired after right, this season because right. it's just such a it's such a it's gonna be such a mess. You know, if there even is one, we'll see. But we were talking about, you know, we look at the spending of money and how many coaches are getting bought out for contracts that aren't fulfilled and how much money is being paid to guys. Do you think that we're going to see almost kind of a, an awakening across college sports that, that revisit some of the spending that may have been, may have been over the top looking back at some of the constraints that could come? I would hope so just because I think it's unhealthy the way that it is structured. And when you have um, some coaches making $7 million a year and if you just cut that in half, think of all the jobs you could save in your department when things like this happen. Um, and, and I get it. You're, you're worth whatever the market's willing to pay you. So that's not a knock on Nick Saban or Jim Harbaugh or any of those coaches making that kind of money. Somebody's willing to pay them. They're not going to turn it down. But maybe this does lead to some more sensible spending. Not at every place. I mean, it's not going to happen. I mean, the schools that can make what they can make are going to make it. But maybe not spend money on the search firms, you know, and you, they've been a big target of your writing over the years. <laughs> um, maybe, maybe not the uh, spend so much money on these buyouts. I mean, right. look, at, look at college football and how many programs are, are, are paying three head coaches right now. I think Arkansas is. Um, it's, it's unbelievable. And then if, could you imagine having to tell – multiple multiple staffers in your athletics department hey we've got to get rid of you we can't afford to pay you but we're still paying three coaches ago not to coach here anymore on top of what we're paying the current coach um you know that's just that's that's hard to stomach that that kind of thing so pay the head coach what you think he deserves but um get rid of all of this other spending that is just they they spend it because they have the money they don't want to really make a profit um because it's supposed to be on profit business here but then they just spend it on things that, that the common person says, what looks at and be like, why are you, why are you spending money on that? Like, it's not necessary dude. save it for a rainy day or for an epidemic or a pandemic. I've been a part of this problem. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm being candid there. I've, there've been times when, I mean, I said, what this coach needs a, an extension because he has to recruit right. and it's gotta be, and I, I, I've thought that way. We've all yeah. been conditioned all to have. think in the, in these ways, well, this guy has to have a buyout because he, the other school does. Where, are the, when is an athletic director going to say, "I'm not doing it"? Right. And if you want to be my coach, here's a, here's a here's a fair deal. But if you want me to guarantee you to pay you, if you want if you to keep you from leaving, or if I fire you, I'm not doing it. If you're good at your job, you'll get an extension, you know, as needed. But I'm not going to give you an extension one year into your contract because I'm afraid you're going to leave. If you want to leave, I'll go try to hire a new good coach. I mean, when are, when are schools going to start operating with that Arkansas State model where, okay, if you want to come use us as a stepping stone, that's fine. We're going to go hire another good coach after it. I, right. I, wonder, I wonder when that thinking will become something that is much more accepted. If everybody did it, then there wouldn't be any need for it. I mean, it's, it's right. become this it's – like, it's like Jimmy Sexton's greatest, like, accomplishment, that the, the, this thing of, of these massive, massive buyouts where everybody feels compelled to have to do it. And I'll mention Cole Kublik here. He had a great take on this. He goes, look, everybody, he goes, there's only so many chances to be a college coach. Right. You know, guys are going to want those jobs, whether the contracts pay them for years that they're not the coach or not. So I think that's something that 
these ADs might need to keep in mind moving forward. And I think there will be, I do think there will be some changes here coming out of this. I think there will be schools, you know, that, are, that have a more of a, more of an interest in what their athletic department is doing. I think these departments are going to have a harder time getting some things approved and it probably should be that way. Uh, and, and it probably has gotten a little out of control because of the, the amount of money being made. The fact that, you know, this is such a successful industry. Right. And, and it can be, it could be completely toppled by one missed college football season it tells us that things should probably be ran a little bit better across the board. Right. Absolutely. You know, there's things that I think through all of this, there's things we've learned we can live without um, whether it's watching every NBA game or every NHL game on TV and maybe just turning the TV off and reading a book. I mean, I, I think that applies to hopefully maybe applies to how ADs do their jobs. You know, they've cut out bonuses for a lot of coaches like these uh, GPA bonuses. Like why does, and this is not anything personal against any coach. Why does Conzo Martin get X amount of dollars if a player on his team gets a certain GPA? Like how does that make sense? Like it, so basically you're, you're rewarded if this kid takes an easier class or, um, you know, does well in his class. He doesn't get any reward. He gets his degree eventually, but the coach gets a monetary reward. That doesn't make, that doesn't make sense. Why are we doing that? And great for, great for Conzo and all the other coaches. And I'm not picking on him. I just picked his name out. Eli Drinkwitz, Barry Oden, you can say it for all. They all have those clauses but they've taken those clauses out for right now, taking those bonuses away. Even the ADs get bonuses for those things. Even the media relations guys get bonuses for things. And th those guys probably deserve it because they work a lot and don't get paid nearly as much as the coaches. But maybe we can learn to live without some of these things in college sports and save some money so that we're not forced to make all these changes we're talking about when, when maybe there's not going to be a full football season. It's no different than every household, right? Your right. families are deciding do they need uh... – do they need Disney Plus, ESPN Plus, Hulu, Netflix, and whatever that new Peacock thing that came out? No, probably not. Maybe, maybe you can buy just like three of the five. <laughs> College sports probably having the same talk. Um, hey, something non-pandemic related. Um, this is something that's relevant to Mizzou basketball fans who are not following Xavier Pinson's every uh, Instagram live press conference. Um, is he in or out, man? Like, come on, the, this deadline's got to be approaching soon. We've seen other guys across the college landscape decide, hey, I'm going back to school. The guys at SLU, um, I don't think, you know, we've, we've seen it. We've seen most of, most of the guys are coming back, as they should, because right. the draft is going to be crazy. If you're not a lock for a first-round pick, you should not go in this draft. Yes, you don't know about the state of your college basketball season, but protect your eligibility, protect your scholarship, and, and try to improve as a player if you have a ceiling where you can get closer to it when there's not so much unknown. Now is not a good time to be an unknown draft pick in the right. NBA, and I have a harder time thinking of one more unknown and unproven than Xavier Pinson. I think he could be an NBA player at some point, but he's got a lot of improving to do, especially shooting from the outside. Why is this guy not saying he's coming back to Mizzou yet? What's going on here? It's strange. I mean, he, he, he gets on his social media a lot and entertains um, a lot of possibilities. He's, he's very cryptic. He leaves a lot of messages out there. I think he likes the feedback. I think he likes the, uh, all of a sudden, you know, getting all the comments from people saying, Oh no, don't leave Xavier. We need you. You're the future. Um, kids, kids are like that. Um, adults are like that sometimes too. 
Increasingly um, so. Yes, definitely. <laughs> Especially in the time like these where there's nothing going on and they, right. they, they want the love, they want the affirmation on Instagram or whatever. We've seen this with him before. And he's been called out on it before, you know, a couple of years, as his freshman year, he kind of made some hints, cryptic hints that he was maybe going to transfer. And then when you ask him about it, he looks at you like you're crazy and you have three eyes. And what are you talking about? I don't know what you're talking about. And I suspect maybe this will happen again. What we do know is the deadline is in, I think, two and a half weeks when these players who are testing the waters for the NBA draft have to decide if they're coming back to school, if they want to keep their eligibility. All along, Missouri has expected all three guys to come back. Jeremiah Tillman has been in Columbia for the most part during all of this. I mean, heck, full disclosure, my kids went to a basketball camp last week, and he was one of the counselors. And he's been hanging out um, in Columbia, working out in Columbia. And he even talked to one of the local TV reporters and says, you know, there, there's no NBA draft prep. There's no, there's no combine. I mean, there's no way to test the waters, really. So, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'm planning on coming back. Um, Pinson sort of said that on Instagram about two months ago, but since then hasn't done anything as far as the official paperwork. But I would suspect he'll come back. Nobody's drafting these guys. Mitchell Smith is the third. Um, their names don't come up on any of these mock drafts. And the mock drafts are better now than they've ever been before. I mean, they include, you know, I assume they're real people, but some foreign players who we've never <laughs> heard of and maybe we'll, never will hear of again. Um, you know, so, yeah, I, he's not getting drafted this year. Is he ready to go over and play in – uh, overseas in the Middle East or in Europe. Well, I don't even know if you can right now. Can can we even fly over there and go there if we want to, Americans? I'm not sure. So there's that just speaks to how much uncertainty there is in all of this. His best bet is to come back from Missouri and play his junior season and build on the strides that he showed in January and February and a little bit of March, and and then try this all again next year, assuming that the process is going to be like it usually is. I don't think he's going to transfer. There's, he's not in the portal or anything like that. Um, but he generates discussions like these because I think he likes it. Well, he got us talking. So <laughs> yeah. uh, I guess it worked. Um, no, I think, I think he nailed it. And then hopefully he's, hopefully he's one of our, one of our podcast listeners here. Um, thank you to the folks who, who do stream and who do ask us when the, when, um, when the new podcast will be out. We appreciate folks following along. And it's always good, Dave, to catch up on what's going on. So keep up the good work. I really enjoyed uh, the, to see your uh, your take on college stuff in general. You've been doing some more opinion uh, columns for the, the Post-Dispatch, which have been awesome. And uh, and I love it. Uh, keep letting it rip and uh, keep doing your thing. And, and we'll, we'll touch base here um, within the next couple of weeks or so and kind of get the, the newest on, on what's going on in Columbia, as we try to figure out, hopefully we'll have some more information, some positive information on what this college football season could look like. Anything else before we wrap it up here? Wear your mask. I could have worn it during this to be the guy that does this, the PSA. Wear your mask, people. If you want, you got to write. If you want you need to write sports, some mo- motivational messages on the on the top there. Um, I will. I can do that. Do I have to do it backwards, though? Because I don't know how it comes across. That's, that's the hard part. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> good stuff, man. All I right. love it. And we'll, uh, we'll catch up with you next week. See you. I'm good.